Section 19 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies, an authentic record of remarkable cases by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bomba. Mysterious Disappearances, Part 9. Monotonous Repetition of the Drowning Trick In February 1881, a house painter in Evansville, Kentucky, named Charles A. Lucas, was seen to fall overboard from the Ohio River steamer Maggie Smith, then plying between Evansville and Henderson, and was reported to have been drowned. Soon after this occurrence, it was discovered that he had been insured for $15,000 in the Northwestern Mutual Life, and $4,000 in a Louisville cooperative. Investigation followed, and translucency soon became transparency. Mr. Lucas was not drowned beyond resuscitation. He reappeared upon the stage of action and confessed participation in a conspiracy. His employer was a well-known young lawyer of Evansville, Julius A. Coleman, who persuaded him in pursuance of the scheme to marry Coleman's servant, who willingly entered into the plot and became nominally the beneficiary of the policies. Then, to mature the claim, Lucas was to drown himself in the river in a life-preserving rubber suit. In the confession of the woman, which is made in the form of a sworn affidavit, it is stated that Coleman hired her and Lucas to carry out the scheme, agreeing to pay her $2,000 and Lucas $4,000, and that they were to disappear for a time, and when the matter was forgotten, to try the same trick over again somewhere else. A man named J. V. Richardson was also employed by Coleman to witness the drowning and swear to it. His affidavit states that he was hired for the purpose and was to receive money, that he saw Lucas with a rubber suit and knew it was a plot to swindle the insurance companies. He reported the matter to the newspapers, and the arrest of Coleman, Lucas, and Richardson promptly followed. The executive officers of the Northwestern Mutual Life entitled themselves to great credit a few years ago for their patience in following to final conviction an unusually lengthened disappearance. Several years elapsed before suspicion ripened into confirmation, but even-handed justice overtook the offenders at last. In 1873, Jeremiah Elliott, who lived in the neighborhood of Portland, Oregon, insured the life of his son Moses, aged 18, in the company, through its Portland agent, for $8,000. In the course of a few months, allegation was made that Moses, while rafting with his uncle on the Columbia River, was drowned. There was no recovery of the body, but at the same time there was no one to refute the evidence of the uncle. The suspicious character of the occurrence, however, clear to the trained scrutiny of the company, would have presented nothing irregular or crooked to the untrained vision of a jury, and as there was no alternative but payment, the company paid the claim. Soon afterward, Elliot and his brother removed to Jackson County, where they bought a sheep ranch. In the management of this enterprise, they were joined by Moses, who it seems was not drowned dead enough to prevent his assuming the role of a gentle shepherd upon the pastoral acres, which had been purchased by his submersion in the Columbia River. Industry and economy were attended with prosperity, and as years passed on, Moses grew to manhood. But his features did not change beyond recognition, and when the ministers of the law told the co-parsoners they were wanted, they obeyed the summons. Legal proceedings resulted in a verdict for the company for $13,676, principal and interest of the money wrongfully paid, and as the ranch and its woolly ruminants had become valuable, the company was secure in recovery. 
On the 20th of July, 1893, William B. Gregg of Duluth, Minnesota, who had a short time previously obtained insurance to the amount of $14,000 on his life in the Fidelity Mutual Life of Philadelphia, the Mutual Life of New York, the United States Mutual Accident, and the Northwestern Mutual Life, was reported to have been drowned in Lake Superior by the capsizing of a small sailboat. The insurance companies were promptly notified of the loss and proofs duly sworn to, in which the details of the capsizing of the boat and the drowning of Gregg were given by John T. Clark of Duluth, who accompanied Gregg and who was in the boat at the time of the accident. Contradictory statements made by Clark and suspicious circumstances connected with the affair led to the inference that there was a purpose to defraud and that Gregg was still alive. Detectives were employed by the companies, and after several weeks of careful investigation, Gregg was captured in New York City and taken to Duluth. Clark, who was with Gregg in the boat and swore to the drowning, was also arrested, together with one Frederick E. Crayenbull of Duluth, the brother-in-law of Gregg, who was implicated in the conspiracy and who was the beneficiary under Gregg's policies. In May 1889, James Dillon, a well-known citizen of Terrell County, North Carolina, insured his life for $3,000 in the Connecticut Mutual Life Insurance Company. Sometime after, he fell from a boat, feigned inability to swim, and had to be pulled out of the Alligator River to prevent his drowning. The next day, he overturned his boat half a mile from shore and yelled loudly for help to a man a quarter of a mile away. When the man responded, Dillon secretly swam ashore and could not be seen. The man whose assistance he had asked supposed he was drowned and was willing to swear to it. Notice of Dillon's death was sent to the company. It refused to pay the claim. Action was brought by Dillon's wife, and the case stood for trial at court, the widow alleging that he was drowned. Then a body was found near the place where he had been seen to sink in the water. The body was identified by twenty-five people as that of Dillon. At court, counsel took a non-suit because the body had been found. Evidence of death and identification was forwarded to the company, who wrote that they would do as advised by their attorneys in the county. The company would have paid the money, but to the surprise of everyone, Dillon himself returned safe and sound to Columbia. Hearing of the non-suit, he thought it put an end to his claim, and that there was no hope of collecting the money, and so he returned home. His statement was remarkable. He said he swam ashore the day he overturned the boat, put his hat in it, and left it half full of water. He determined to hide in the woods so that his wife could get the insurance money. He remained in the great swamps for five months when he found the body of a drowned man floating in the Alligator River. He removed the hair from the head so as to make it bald, and, taking his own hair and whiskers, put them in the decomposing flesh of the corpse. He knocked out two of the front teeth of the dead man, and, removing the clothing from the corpse, dressed it in clothes he had worn on the day of his disappearance. Early in 1890, a singular case of disappearance and of reappearance after a long interval was reported from the Australian city of Brisbane, the capital of Queensland. A surveyor named Geddes, who was insured in the Australian Mutual Providence Society for £2,500, was believed to have been drowned, and when claim was made for the amount of the policy, it was paid to Mr. Geddes' father. It now turns out that the surveyor was not drowned, but took passage on a vessel for New Zealand and landed at Invercargill, where he successfully practised his profession. Some years afterward, having an erratic disposition, he returned and settled at Adelaide in South Australia, where he eventually became insane and was placed in a lunatic asylum. Here, by mere accident, he was discovered and his identity established. 
Thereupon the Australian Mutual Providence Society proceeded against the elder Geddes for the recovery of the money paid to him. Mr. Geddes responded promptly and properly, and not only returned the original sum, £2,500, but added interest, amounting to nearly as much more, rising at 8% to £2,400. Late in the fall of 1883, George W. Strom was reported to have fallen overboard from the steamboat Gus Fowler in the Ohio River above Cairo. Some time afterward the man turned up alive with a doubtful story of terrible suffering. The newspapers intimated strongly at the time that the drowning was a farce played to defraud insurance companies. J. F. Yoakum, residing near Grand Chain, a sort of exhorter and schoolmaster, addressed a card to the public asserting that Strom was an honest man who could not be induced to defraud anyone, and that he had no insurance on his life. At Mound City, Strom, who was a simple-minded man, was induced by detectives to confess the plot. He had $10,000 insurance on his life and was induced to enter into a plot to get the money without taking the trouble to die. The plotters were on board the Gus Fowler, and it was agreed that when Yoakum made certain signals, Strom was to jump overboard and swim ashore. At Ogden's Landing, when near enough to shore to make it safe, the sign was made and Strom leaped over and gained the shore. After a reasonable time, Yoakum, with the power of attorney, made an application for money to various companies in which the insurance on Strom's life had been affected. An investigation was begun which resulted in the arrest of Yoakum and Strom. Yoakum also made a confession, corroborating Strom's statements. Anthony Arteta, aged 40, an Italian residing at Catskill, New York, whose occupation was given as that of a railroad contractor, was insured in the Fidelity Mutual Life Association, January 14, 1885, for $10,000. The agent, A.G. Fox, was generally regarded as a man worthy of confidence. The policy was made payable to the father and mother of the insured, but a few months afterward it was surrendered for change of beneficiary, and a new policy was issued, made payable to the estate of the insured. Early in the month of June, 1885, the Fidelity Association received a telegram from Agent Fox that Acheta was accidentally drowned in the Catskill Creek, near its confluence with the Hudson River. Without waiting for proofs or further developments, President Faust delegated Mr. Alexander McKnight, then Superintendent of Agents, to proceed to Catskill and investigate the case. He found that the brother of the insured, Cosmo Acheta, together with a boy, claimed to have been out on Catskill Creek in company with the insured fishing, and that at eleven o'clock at night, as they were about to pull for the shore, Anthony changed his place in the boat, fell overboard, and that was the last that was seen of him. The alleged drowning was reported, and the usual efforts were made to recover the body, but without success. About a week afterwards, the body of a dead man, very much bloated and discoloured, was found, and it is believed that if it had not been for the effective work done by the representatives of the insurance company, it would have been identified as the body of Antony Acetta. The insured, it turned out, was an interpreter for Italian labourers of railroads instead of a contractor, and it was found that he had carried accident insurance in two different companies and had received benefits when he was not entitled thereto. He was assisted in securing such benefits by a Mrs. Hanley, with whom he boarded. It was her son, together with the brother Cosmo, who was a witness to the alleged drowning. A watch was placed on the house of Mrs. Hanley, the telegraph office, post office, railroad station, etc., to note the movements of the suspected parties. It was found that a little girl, the daughter of Mrs. Hanley, visited Hudson, a neighboring town, almost daily, and that she called at the post office at the latter point. 
it became apparent that a correspondence was going on between Mrs. Hanley and Dacetta, under an alias previously agreed upon. With great difficulty, a photograph of the insured was procured from a photographer in New York City. The trail of the person who was believed to be Achetta was taken up at Buffalo and followed to Cleveland, Ohio, by Mr. McKnight, who found Achetta at 164 Superior Street, while in the act of writing a letter to Mrs. Hanley. He was at once taken into custody and searched. Letters were found on his person from Mrs. Hanley, written in cipher, and a book was found in his possession containing a key to the cipher. With the aid of the key, the letters were read, which proved conclusively that a conspiracy had been entered into by the woman and Achetta and his brother to defraud the fidelity. Achetta, however, at once took the position that he had no intention of defrauding the company, that on account of a difficulty he had with a woman it was his intention to leave her under the impression that he was dead, and that neither his brother nor the boy had guilty knowledge of his intentions that he actually fell out of the boat, swam under water for some distance so as to deceive them, and then swam across the river where he dried his clothes and took the first train for Buffalo. His story was not believed, and the letters in cipher disproved it. He was taken to Catskill, and after a preliminary trial, which consumed nearly a week, he was held for final trial at the December session of the criminal court. His brother, Cosmo, Mrs. Hanley, and the boy were also arrested as parties to the conspiracy. Anthony was convicted and sentenced to the Albany Penitentiary for one year, while the others were either dismissed or sentenced to pay a small fine. End of section 19, read by Sandra near Montreal, 2021.